This message is for people like me, people who believe in the power of prayer but aren't completely benefiting from it. You're watching the days and nights turn over and weeks and years go by. People are leaving here. People are suffering. Things are just not the same and in spite of it all, you refrain. You know that there's something you have yet to gain beyond the smoke and mirrors, beyond mental indoctrinations, beyond the past, beyond your situation and beyond your hopes and your intentions. You know that your time has come and that there's no more room for fear, no more doubt, no more hindrances because there are aspects of life that has awakened the dormant things in you and purpose is prevailing over you. Most of my growth has come through some type of conflict that I would not have willingly signed up for, but it turned out for my good because it was for that purpose that the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Works being the residual impact of the damage that's been done, a work that has begun in me as I am challenged to be whole. Listen, like many, I've laughed in the face of danger and I've flirted with death for the sake of a good time. I've pursued happiness and folly at the expense of joy. Yet time after time after time, I'm reminded by resolve that I continue to know that at the end of the day, I was commissioned to pray. Welcome to Divine Struggles, a Real Talk podcast, and welcome to my process. Here's where the trials of life bear the weight of their deliverance. So may we all come face to face with with what matters the most as we cross enemy lines on a day-to-day basis. Father, help us to overcome an oppressive state and to take every thought captive. Teach our hands to war and our fingers to fight. Remind us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Help us to shift beyond weariness. Guide us to your will so that we will reign in dimensions of your power. Let the words that I speak and the reflection of my heart be acceptable in your sight as I honor you. I don't know if you've ever heard of the saying, eyes like a shutter, mind like a lens. It's a metaphor of how a camera works in relation to our mindset. Light passes through the shutter of a camera and an image is expressed on on the exposure. Well, that same light can be likened unto the truth. And as the lens of our eyes reflect the amount of light we let in, it expresses an image as well. Thus, mind like a lens. It's like looking at something with your natural eye and then reimagining how it makes sense to you. But you end up believing Um, Whatever you end up believing about in a given situation is tied to your process of deliverance. So when it comes to our mindsets and stumbling blocks, the Bible says that there are four types of soil that God is left to work with and five types of fools. I know I've found myself in at least one of them a time or two. But soil represents the condition of a person's heart compared to the quality of the soil. If seed was thrown onto stony ground, it wouldn't be able to take root. If seed were to grow in a thorny place, then whatever it produced would be choked out. Seed that falls by the wayside would be easy for birds to consume. And of course, fertile soil would be able to allow a seed to sprout and take root and function and bear fruit. This is a growth parable that depicts the different um, ways that different kinds of people will relate to God's word. Then there are those of us in the Bible called fools. 
but we're so quick to take offense that we miss the lesson in it all. Scripture says that there's the simple, the silly, the sensual, the scorning, and the steadfast fool. Being foolish isn't just about lacking common sense. It's also about how you take a stance when it comes to the will of God for your life. Everything boils down to the will of God. Some people feel slighted by this and choose to compromise. Especially in our youth, we pursue pleasure and choose to pay for it later. But the simple fool in Hebrew is pethi. It means to be opened up or extreme or vulnerable. It's when a person's mind lacks true discernment, right? This type of fool is dangerously immature, immensely, intensely curious and hot-headed. They don't perceive consequences. Then there's the silly fool, which is evil. This person doesn't take heed to advice, and they're unreasonable. Their mouth often gets them in trouble, and when things go wrong, they become angry and cause more damage. Proverbs 7 and 22 says that this fool is unaware of the fate that awaits him. Then there's the sensual fool, or kesil, uh, the one who rejects the correction of authority. Kesil means stupid or sluggish. This person seems determined to make the wrong choices. They reject the wisdom of God because they are mentally deficient and competent. This person focuses on immediate pleasure and glorifies what should bring shame, and their methods can be subtle. The fourth type of fool mentioned in the Bible is the scorning fool, or lutes. His scorn is in his attitude, or his speech, and his facial expressions communicate the disdain. He turns a deaf ear to rebuke and must be punished because of the contempt in his heart. And the fifth type of fool is the most dangerous. This is the steadfast fool. The phrase translated is Nabal. This is a vile person. They're known to freely gratify their lower nature. This person is self-confident and closed-minded and rejects God in all of their ways. The word says that only God can reprove a steadfast fool. What's my point in all of this? My point is that the deliverance, that deliverance isn't necessarily what we imagine it to be. It doesn't happen our way and a person's reality can hinder the whole process. We create unnecessary fights and our relationship with God can only go as deep as our understanding. You know what I mean? So about who he is and what he's supposed to be to us. Um, so there are no gray areas with God, only with us. That's why a night of fun can create a lifetime of battles. And it's why one bad choice even um, can become harder to see over the good ones over time. Um, but we still expect him to make a way out of no way when his hands are tied and bound by our position, our obligations and duties, our prerogative, our mental state, our social life, and our goals all keep his hands bound. The word says that a little faith can go a long way. You know that mustard seed faith that we preach about, but it's your belief that ultimately determines what you're faithful to or how you succumb to it and what you succumb to or how you maneuver on a day-to-day -day basis. Scripture says that a father brings um, his demon-possessed son to the Messiah and he asks for him to be healed. It says that he fell on his knees and he cried in tears and he said, Father, I believe, but help my unbelief. This is because belief and doubt can work together even when you're faithful. That's why we can grow weary in well-doing. 
And it's also why we put off till tomorrow what we should do today. So God has to sow seeds among the hearts of men to help sustain us. But our propensities come to work against that. Then we battle our way through life disregarding the fact that he said that only the anointing can destroy such yokes. The anointing is what levels the playing field. So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the mental changes we go through as we question life and death. I want to talk about our concept of God and the passiveness that we tend to have when it comes to our commitment to pray. So how does the anointing level the playing field by destroying yokes? Well, the yoke that I am referring to in the biblical Hebrew is ol, and it's spelled ayin lamed. It means to see or to understand and obey the authority of God. This yoke is something that is imposed. It's what you're tied to figuratively or literally. It's a symbol of bondage or suffering, a suffering that is able to display God's grace because it causes you to focus on what you would normally ignore. When he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, that yoke is nari, Noon yod resh yod. It's when his children, by his works, according to his authority, will experience his power as they come to know him. The anointing can also have a secular connotation, such as rubbing a shield with oil or smearing paint on a house. But in ancient Hebrew, it's Mashiach, Christ, the Messiah, spelled Mem Shin Yod Chet, which means the word transformed by divine power according to the hand of God which will separate and divide by the sword. This is what destroys yokes of bondage. The action of the word that is able to upset the balance and declare the end from the beginning yet many don't take advantage of it. Let's talk about the word belief for a minute. In Hebrew that's aman. It's also where amen comes from. And it's the Hebrew word for faith, which means to support God's will. It has to do with the stances you take, yet we come apart at the seams when we are attacked or when a situation seems to bear um, too much, to be too much to bear. We don't change with the seasons. And we're told it's okay to question him, so we question him. We question his stance. We undermine his authority and we live conflicted because some things haven't worked out as planned. And bad things happen to good people and children suffer, and sickness exists, and there's so much conflict and wickedness. And we wondered what happens to the greater works, even when those works are not able to reside in us. And we question as if he never told us. And we do that because we're emotional beings with a limited awareness, beings who are drawn away and enticed by what lies deep within, something known as desires. You ever wonder why it's easier to succumb to sin than it is to stay the course and be faithful over a few things? We spend most of our lives operating with our eyes wide shut. We live in regret, and at one point or another, we have succumbed to some form of darkness. Man has an adversary called the Prince of the Air. He's the Prince of the Power of the Air. That means that um, it is, he's the God of the nature of man, in a sense. <clears throat> he thrives in our carnal appetites, and he has the potential to manifest in conflict and to influence us through the loopholes of our nature, through things like sickness 
and stress and fear and spaces where people find it hard to keep God near. But guess what? It's still nothing personal. It's merely the work of destruction. That's why we are presented with time and chance, and it happens to us all. But what does that even mean? In Hebrew, it's an expression of our dependence on God. Pega kara. Chance happenings or right happenings. Something that is dependent on his orchestration. It's not a matter of luck. Pega comes from the root word for intercession or to pray. So sometimes the wealthy die young and the addict lives long. Sometimes a person's best efforts can fall short because it's the wrong moment. Unlike worldly concepts, the race is not given to the swift nor the battle to the strong. The word karah or chance is used to express a prayed opportunity. Time and chance from the biblical perspective is being at the right place, at the right time, as a result of your prayers. So no, he is never slow to fulfill his promise as we count slowness. He is patient and long-suffering toward us, not wanting anyone to perish in the process. So from the start, when Adam and Eve left the garden, God made them bodies of flesh to bear the extremes of what they would have to come to face, a body that would be confined to the earth. They experienced themselves in a land that they hadn't known, but this is all we know, a place that was ordained hours and days and years until all be fulfilled because it was in that space that God sent the same word that he used to create man to stand against the transgressions of men. But he didn't take away man's soul. He let him live to experience the measure of his repentance and free will. And he attempted to wipe the slate clean and elevate a new Adam through Noah, hoping that we'd be able to endure this walk just to face the fact that what he had created was still tainted by impulses. And so now... He causes the sun to rise on the good and the evil and sends the rain to witness to the just and the unjust. But he has made known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, and he says that his purpose will still stand. As sure as you were born, you will be impacted by it one way or the other. And he says, well, if it seems evil unto you to serve him, then choose you this day whom you will serve because no man can serve two masters. This is part of what makes him divine. A choice must be made, and in the end, it was decreed what would be fulfilled according to the desires of his heart. We are the expression of God in the earth because the manifestation of his thoughts are just that powerful. Maybe he knew we would disobey. Maybe he didn't. But he created a world that existed outside of the garden. A world where unbelief would come to thrive according to the limitations of man. A world where man would seek after his own counsel in the hardness of his heart and undermine his own ways. A world where we would come to see the reality of our limitations and the weight of the knowledge of good and evil that we were never intended to experience. And now we are required to seek his face and to summon angels and to war against principalities and rulers in high places because the way to God has now been paved with obstacles. So the ease of relating to him and worshiping him has been filled with struggles. The Garden of Eden was an earthly paradise where God came to Adam and Eve. They didn't have to pray because up until that point, their relationship with him was natural and unhindered. 
But now for us, there are spiritual and natural realms, and there are portals or entryways for all sorts of spiritual activities. Portals that are as many days as the heavens are above the earth. And God is manifest based on our spirit. He grants us access to other realms because we now have to bind and loose from heaven to earth just to see it all for what it's worth. In Hebrew, the garden is Eden, but it's pronounced Gan Idan. Gan, according to its letters, is the gathering of seed. Idan, by its letters, means to examine or judge the way of a seed. So when transgression came about, Adam was judged by the word that was already written. He could no longer experience complete understanding of sound thoughts or just counsel or the peace that he was accustomed to. The glory of his nature had now had to submit to flesh. And he was now able to feel pain and sense death and shed blood, but without recompense. We now are naturally submitted to the flesh. So it took the power of God in the flesh to take on the corruption of just that in order to redeem man and to establish a new covenant. He couldn't just reprimand Adam and put him back in the garden under a broken covenant because he would have access to the tree of life in a mortal state and ultimately seal his own fate, bringing God's word to naught because covenant in ancient Hebrew is barit, bet resh yod tet, which says in the house the head must choose between greatness and degradation by his works what will remain. A covenant is a process of selecting according to obligation. No man is worthy of this on their own. That's why he says, when you're met with opposition, look to me. For the spirit of heaviness put on the garment of praise. When it hurts the most, when you hear contrary voices in your head, when lies creep in, when depression or anxiety is smothering you, you must interrupt that feeling, suffocate the moment, and disrupt the power of suggestion before it can manifest a complete outcome. How? By declaring the power of God in contrast to what is happening. You must be just as intentional with the thought itself because his word is at your disposal, even when it doesn't feel like it. Still, we are hindered by what comes, um, what we're able to manifest because we're often drawn away and enticed because of something deep within us called desires and will. We are born according to the natures of inclination from the womb. That's why you don't have to teach a baby how to lie when you ask them if they ate the cookie, even if it's cute. But we have been reduced to violations. Violations like addictions and sickness and pain and premature death and war and oppositions and deceit. We're subjected to politics and to laws and to systems that were designed to be against us. There are systems all around us, from the Dewey Decimal System to social systems to institutional systems and systems of um, spiritual oppression. Your entire body is governed by a system that is conductive and allows for a flow of energy. Everything from your brain to your blood to your organs are conductors. When you are not grounded, there will be no homeostasis no balance. So we are obligated to do what it takes to maintain our well-being and to manage those moment-by-moment glitches. It's not all on God. That's why he says men are to always pray. He already told us that the way is broad that leads to destruction, 
And even in your ignorance, he can't raise up what doesn't serve him. But how many of us have stood in a quiet place today and actually prayed until we were affected by him compared to those of us who woke up suffering or struggling or met with opposition and still have yet to pray? Maybe we don't know just what it takes or what it's supposed to look like for us. So let's talk about that because unlike the Messiah, us, you know, the Messiah, he prayed when he already had power in his hands and he was without sin and he knew how to function in all circumstances and he was fully invested and connected to God. So he prayed in the will of God. And he did so because there was a system in place for God's word to be fulfilled in the physical realm. And he was walking out the system as the word itself in the flow of the spirit. So, in other words, God's spirit in the flesh had to submit to what was spoken by John because it was spoken for our sakes so that we could walk in the manifestation of it. When John had completed his part of the word, the heavens were rendered open and God's spirit rested on the word in the earth. Still, the word was not able to go forth until it had been tried. So, Yeshua was sent away by the spirit for 40 days to be established in a divine way through prayer and to be tested and tried and ultimately ministered to by the angels. Then and only then was he sent forth so that the word would not be able to return void. If the word itself had to be manifested by prayer, then know that prayer must be manifested through you. The disciples who walked with John performed their daily sacrifices, right? They cast out demons, they laid hands on the sick, and people recovered. And we've seen the importance of prayer as it pertains to God's people long before Yeshua was born. Daniel was thrown into the den of lions because of his daily prayer life. Jonah prayed, David prayed, Hannah prayed, and God answered those prayers. So when they said to Yeshua, teach us how to pray, it wasn't so much that they needed to be taught how to pray as it was a desire for them to be taught how to be present and vulnerable in the intimate space. They wanted to experience God beyond works. So they were taught how to connect with him in a way that would make room for this to happen. Yet, after the ascension of the Messiah, after he was taken up, when they were separated from his anointing, from that word, they were afraid. When the word ascended, they had no way of of adhering to that word. So they became um, filled with fear. And in that space, under that mindset, The Messiah came and stood before them again, and he said, Peace be unto you, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And while he said this, he breathed on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit they had been walking with them all along was now manifested through them. And this is how the omnipresence of God came to be established in the earth. So when he says, Behold, I have given you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Power or strength in his sense is koa, kaf, het. It's what's in the palm of his hand. It's what's offered to you and a life for your protection. And it's supposed to what? It's supposed to avail much. That means it should produce an effect because it was designed to create a distinction between the physical and spiritual realm. The Messiah prayed to fulfill the scripture and he applied the scripture and still things got worse for him before they got better. We pray so that the scripture can be fulfilled in us in every circumstance. The word says that 
Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, right? And we picture just that as a place of honor. But it's so much more from the Hebraic perspective because God didn't create two thrones. The right hand of God in Hebrew is his power. It's koah. And Jesus in Hebrew is Yahusha, Yahushua, or Yeshua, depending on how it's pronounced. But all are variations of the deliverance of Yah. So seated at the right hand of God is his power, the basis of his deliverance. When the Bible says that your right hand are pleasures forevermore, that right hand it speaks of is the strength of salvation, so that where sin abounds, grace is able to do much more. But listen, Yeshua, the deliverance of God, is not just about declaring his name per se, because there was also Yeshua Barabbas, Yeshua Benanias, and Yeshua Ben Sirach. Last names were not common during this time, but there were markers that alluded to a person's attributes, like Yahukanan, John the Baptist, or Benjamin, son of the right hand, or Yehuda, praise to Yah, and Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Yahushua HaMashiach, the deliverance of Yahuwah, exceeding the weakness of men. And this is how God chose to save the world, by transcending human nature in order to physically manifest his power in the earth. And this is why there is no other name or power whereby one can be saved or deliverance. It doesn't exist outside of the power of God. There are other powers that exist because good and evil come from the same source, and both bear its own fruit. But salvation is a gift from God, and principles at work. And death is not all about aging. It's also about boundaries and choices. We cannot just pray over anything and manipulate the laws of cause and effect. We must stand in the truth. If we could, if we could pray over anything, None of us would be unhealthy or overweight or on medication. You know, I know what it feels like to not be physically fit. I know what it feels like to be addicted to sugar. I know what it feels like to wake up with a headache from too much sodium. I know what it's like for my knee to not be able to bear my weight. And I also know what a hangover feels like. I know what it does to the body when you go to bed angry because you have taken on that spirit. I know all too well the negative effects of not casting my cares. I've seen bad company corrupt good character. I know the pains of childbirth, and I know what it's like to be tied to the wrong soul and produce children and have to deal with the consequences of bringing them into that situation just to wonder why they struggle. I know what it's like to listen and not hear. I know what unworthiness feels like. I know what it's like to lie to myself and expect things to change. I know that we use habits to justify our behaviors. I know what it's like to pray in vain. But the word says to turn to God and change the way you think and act because the kingdom of heaven is near. That means that God's rule is available to you. So change in the Hebrew sense is Shanah. It means to do over and over again. It means to point, to pierce, and to teach. It's a process of sharpening in order to put off your old self and be made new in the attitude of your mind where your focus creates your reality. This is one of the reasons why we need not be anxious about anything, but to pray in all things so that the peace of God has the opportunity to exceed our worries. The modern word for prayer is tefillah, 
which has more to do with like supplication or requesting things. Um, and there's a time for that. But its root word is what I want to focus on because it implies executing judgment or thinking. Tefillah actually comes from the ancient Hebrew word lehit palal, to lay prostrate before the authority of God. This is a process of being accountable. It's a position you take in order to judge yourself in his presence. And it's about you examining your ways no matter whose fault it is. When Yeshua um, spoke to the assembly of Zion, he spoke to the witness or the testimony of those who stood together under his authority or in his power, to those not forsaking the assembling together as it pertained to living this life together, so that wherever two or three would be gathered in his name, he could be among them as a mandate. That's why he said, upon this rock, the word is Iban, Aleph, Bet, Noon, symbolizing the Father and the Son. So by that revelation through Peter, God would build his Ida, those drawn out by his love, to be redeemed or restored to function so that the gates of hell or the enemy won't be able to prevail or get the victory in the end. With that said, I want to challenge those of you who could use the incentive to join me in prayer creating an environment that is conducive for the presence of God. If you already pray every day, then feel free to pray more, or maybe even this could be something that you add to your routine. But it's a 40-day prayer reset that you can find on my website under Biblical Studies at dvinestruggles.org. But understand the challenge for what it is. It's learning to manage conflict and the noises in our head and those seasons of sadness and frustration. It's navigating through disappointment. It's working on those character flaws. It's controlling your tongue. It's a way to be honest before God. It's learning to be content in all circumstances. Yes, it is overriding your will and positioning yourself for greater works. Works that must begin in you. Listen, the reason why it's a challenge is because the way have you been doing it ain't right. But where would you stand if God were to come down and question you today? What would be, what would you be comfortable with? Would you be comfortable with your reasoning and your excuses if he challenged your disposition on everything you challenge him on? To everyone who believes is given a measure of faith. That means that you are given what you need to support his will, yes, and ultimately be able to survive, yes, in the most functional way in the midst of dysfunction. So as far as the challenge goes, there's five options to choose from. Um, And I chose option number three, to pray the Lord's Prayer 100 times a day for 40 days and to journal it. And I'm halfway through and I'm thriving. But understand, all repetition is not vain repetition. In Gethsemane, when Yeshua prayed the same prayer several times a day, he prayed it but his words could never be meaningless or void. So this is a simple method I'm using to refocus my thoughts and awaken my spirit and realign myself. For me, it's like coming against years of destruction and thinking and, you know, destructive thinking and harmful words. Neuroscience is now teaching, right, that when you face criticism and rejection and fear or when we feel marginalized or minimized or our bodies produce, um, what happens is our bodies produce higher levels of cortisol. 
the stress hormone, right? Causing a fight or flight reaction, shutting down our reasoning ability until we either run, freeze, or appease. On the other hand, though, positive words and conversations produce chemical reactions too. But this chemical reaction metabolizes more quickly in the body and doesn't last as long as the negative ones. Go figure, right? That's why it takes more positive to negate a negative. That's why it's so easy to fall into a slump. That's why anxiety is at an all-time high. In my mind, though, science only supports the Bible that says, um, with the tongue is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person and sets the whole course of one's life on fire. With the tongue, we praise God and we curse man. Out of the same mouth, we speak blessings and cursings, and this should not be. And so because we, um, I've been here long enough to experience the destruction of my own life, this is my plea. It's my seven-to-one ratio on steroids, if you will. You know where they say that it takes seven positive words to reverse a negative? Well, this is my endeavor to do something more, to counter-affect the works of the enemy in the inner me and to make it known. And as I journal, I consider all the charges, the changes, the changes I face, and I note the good and the bad. I note how um, things are affecting my thinking along the way and my level of sensitivity. And I note whether praying it all at once or spreading it over the course of a day is the best. And sometimes praying all at once makes me feel like I'm just getting out the way or I felt entitled a few times because I did my morning duty, you know. So I decided to split it up over the course of the day and then I would rush before bedtime to try to get it in before I fell asleep. And one time I fell asleep with seven left to go. I had to say it seven more times. And on the weekends, it hit different. And there are times of procrastination and times of worship and humility. I felt it all. And then there are times of doubt. Like, is this all for naught? You know? Um, and then there were those, destruct- those distractions I faced as far as, like, losing my place, getting tongue-tied, and cotton mouth. I was interrupted. Old triggers flared up on the inside. Um, being in public became more challenging because I saw more spiritually when it came to dealing with people. And so I'm learning just to take it all in and to understand it and to keep going so God can bring me balance and lead me without my interruptions. And it's getting easier compared to when I started and more rewarding because one day my daughter, who's eight years old, walked in on me praying and I stopped um, for a moment to explain because of how she was standing there looking And she let me explain, and then I continued on um, with praying. And she sat there, and she listened. And eventually, I saw her get up and leave. And then that next evening, she came to me before bed, and she said, Mommy, can you teach me how to pray like you? And my heart melted. My heart melted, and we started then, that night. And she's been excited ever since, ever since. So, and there was actually a time before that when I felt led to give thanks. I was standing in the kitchen and she was nearby and I usually hold back around her because she's not used to seeing me express in that way so openly. But this particular time, I let a little bit of it go and I stood in one place and I began clapping and I began clapping and I was clapping and I kept saying, hallelujah, 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 over and over. And she stood up and she looked at me 
as if to make sure I was all right. But then she began clapping with me. She matched my energy. So I know that I just can't give up now. But as I close, I want to talk about the Lord's Prayer and what I've been teaching her and my other daughter and just what I've been learning um, from its original uh, perspective outside of the smoke and mirrors of rhetoric. There's a principle of biblical interpretation known as the law of first mention, which says to understand a particular word or doctrine, we must first um, find the place in scripture where it was first mentioned and study from that point of view, which would have been from the Afro-Asiatic language. Um, Some of the oldest proven languages, um, families date back to this language. And there are more than like 7,100 languages today. So it's easy for some concepts to get lost in translation along the way. And there are currently over 2,800 versions of the Bible available. Now, is God beyond error? Yes, but we're not. And sometimes there's work that needs to be done in order to appreciate the process to him, right? And can he use any language to speak? Yes, because we all feel connected to him in some way today. But sometimes we need a greater focus because we have so many other voices in our heads. And for some, maybe it doesn't take all that. But all I know is that it certainly takes more than what we're used to. So on that note, bear with me as I take the opportunity to express the Aramaic Hebrew version of this prayer. The idea is that no matter what version you choose to use or to say in in this form from this day forward, that your mind and your heart will be tuned in differently. No harm, no foul, just more aware and sensitive to the objective. Um, It's said that the Lord's Prayer was not meant to be memorized verbatim initially. It was more or less a concept of how we are supposed to align ourselves. The Messiah spoke on the stance that we should take into account before God in order to obtain his will and to live right. And he gave us an outline for maintaining a daily walk. So when the disciple says, what do we do? How do we go to God for ourselves? How do we approach him like you do? What do we say? And the Messiah taught them to learn how to be present. And once they learned to pray in this way, the place was shaken and they spoke with greater boldness. And the magnitude of the miracles they performed was increased. In one incident, Peter didn't even have to make a declaration. He uh, didn't have to physically touch anyone for them to be healed, but because the essence of God emanated the atmosphere enough for those lying in the streets to be healed by his shadow. So now I will attempt to transliterate the Hebrew version of Yeshua's words line by line. Avinu Shabbat Shamayim Yit Kadesh Our Father in heaven, set apart is your name. Let who you are be exalted. You are rendering him sacred and you are asking him to let his character or his essence be honored in you for his glory. This is your approach to him. Tavo Malkuteka Yesere Sonake. May the kingdom come and your will be done. This is inviting his reign in your life. It is about accepting his intentions, setting aside your will for his. It's intentionally not focusing on the challenges or issues you face. It's realigning yourself to be a vessel so that you can house his spirit and trust. Um, The rest will take care of itself. Ba'aretz ka'asher na'asa ba'shamayim. As in heaven, so on the earth. 
This is how you're able to bridge the gap between the prophesied kingdom through the manifestation of the spoken word. In the physical world here on earth, meaning it's through that heaven reigns because you are granting the access. Ten lanu chayom lekem huhainu. Give me your daily bread. You should not live on physical substance alone. He should, uh, we should thrive on every word that comes from God. We must learn to live beyond human grasp and to experience him in your wilderness. You're acknowledging that you need for his word to sustain you on a regular basis. That's daily. You're asking him to take the loss for the debt you owe and to forgive you. You must acknowledge that you violated a covenant and that he's the one who bears the load even though you have consequences. And understand that he weighs your intentions and searches your heart. This is more than asking for forgiveness. It's about being vulnerable. So lekim And as I forgive those who ask for my pardon, this is not a tit-for-tat moment. It's a teachable moment. And it's not just that you do for others as he does for you. It's about creating character. And it's about healing and integrity. This is when... Your brother, your sister in this walk comes to you for the same reasons that you went to the Father, but now you must judge their intentions and choose whether to forgive. Everyone is not your brother and sister. There are those dedicated to evil. Some people won't ask for your forgiveness, and some people may not be sincere in their approach when they do. So you too must weigh the intent in all fairness, whether by exoneration, forbearance, or release. Your job is to overcome by all means necessary and to take comfort in knowing that vengeance belongs to him. Keep me from temptation. In this sense, it means to be kept from the hand of a test, from yielding to the pressures of this walk. This acknowledges that times may get tough and that your perseverance is connected to your relationship with him. Otherwise, he is not obligated to keep you. So when tempted, let him let no one say that he is tempted of God, for he cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But he is a keeper of those who diligently seek him. This is asking to be guarded from the effects of the evil one or from dysfunction. Um, that's anything that's not working according to God's plan. Respect the balance of good and evil. Understand the fact that demonic activity is able to manifest in the earth. And don't be con ignorant concerning the enemy's devices or the inclinations of men. For a time you will be subjected to these things so that you need to keep be, be kept by him through it all according to your faith. Father, protect us from those who devise ways to trip our feet and keep us from the rule of destruction. Amen. This word comes from the Hebrew word aman, to believe, and I've mentioned this before. In this sense, it means, let it be so, or I stand firm in obedience. This is the stipulation or the condition that you're submitting to. It is sealing the deal to what you just confessed. Now, if I were to put it all together in today's time, I would say something like, sovereign reign. Master of all, creator of heaven and earth, divine by nature and set apart by name and righteous as proclaimed. Father, I need for you to be glorified in this moment. 
Hallelujah. In a world full of degradation, I'm thankful for your spirit and for your truth that stands the test of time. I'm thankful for the hidden and the revealed things in you. Thank you for being my steadfast love when I'm the one to stray. Thank you for looking beyond my faults and seeing my needs today. Thank you for sparing me when my words are unjust. And thank you for seeing me when my eyes are wide shut. Thank you for being my everything when I feel like I'm not enough. Now, Father, I invite you into this prayer, hoping you heed the call, because without you, I'm destined to fall. And so let your kingdom come and your will be done in me as in heaven, so in the earth. And give me this day my daily bread as I step beyond the petition of prayer and into the posture of praise. Forgive me for my wayward ways and for the debt I owe, I'm sorry. Forgive me for the sins I bear and the iniquities that disbar me. Show me how to love and help me to carry on. Lead me to forgive so that I can pass it along. Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Reveal the offense I cannot see and lead me to the way that is higher than me. Let the burden be light and the yoke easy as you created me a clean heart and help me to see as you see, Father. Manifest yourself to me so that I can be free. Help me to focus and to meditate on your word. Show me how to abound as I learn to embrace humility, not by might, nor by my power, but by your spirit. Bless and deliver me. Father, reestablish the gateways of my soul and lead me through the path of righteousness for your name's sake. Heal me where I need to be healed and help me to reestablish my ways as you are the one I praise. And Father, as I walk this walk, order my steps and equip me with your armor. Grant me the integrity to accept what I cannot change while your fruit remains to fight the good fight of faith for me. And as you have ordained, I cast down all strife in every familiar and every stronghold in my life. But I need for you to sustain me by your righteous right hand and protect me from the forces that I cannot see so that no weapon formed against me will be able to prosper according to the principles of your kingdom and the power of your deliverance and the eminence of your glory, I pray. Hallelujah. Amen. With that, I'd like to thank you all for sticking with me through the end. This isn't easy for me to do because I tend to overthink. And this platform is new, and I try to be careful in my approach, but it's good for me nonetheless. So I want to thank many of you for starting this journey with me and for continuing to encourage me as I encourage you. Until next time, may your strength be firm.